Hi, I'm Lisa Brenner, letting you know that my new film, Say My Name, will be available in selected theaters and on demand starting June 14th. It's a madcap British comedy about love, one night stands, and criminals who shoot themselves in the leg. To find out more, go to the Say My Name Movie Facebook page or simply search the hashtag Say My Name Movie on whatever social media you use, and you might just see me in a sex scene. That's all I'm saying. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by Jodorowsky's Dune producer Steve Scarlatta and Josh Miller, where they explore some of the greatest movies that were never made, from E.T. 2 to Tim Burton's Superman, Night Skies to Star Trek The Academy Years. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of Star Trek, check out my new sci-fi TV series, Pandora, debuting on The CW and around the world on July 9th, starring Priscilla Quintana and Oliver Dench, and you can find out more by downloading the Unboxing Pandora podcast, available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. Get ready to join the Inglorious Trexperts live at San Diego Comic-Con as they boldly go to the greatest Comic-Con on Earth. We'll be there, will you? Meet all your favorite and least favorite Inglorious Trexperts hosts as they talk Trek live and in person, only at San Diego Comic-Con. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. Yes, we are. Well, we we're are. both supposed to do that. What? I know. I realized. You, I it, I'm having that oh, post Shake Shack. Uh, do it again. Nah. My goodness, no, nah. we don't. No, <laughs> never look back. Live on tape. Live on tape. But you know, and it's funny because I have some wonderful guests here to introduce you. We got a really great show today. We got a full house today. We got a full house. Everybody's packed in. Uh, first, we have uh, returning champion. Uh, you know him as the uh, uh, writer and uh, editor and director of Free Enterprise. Actually, celebrating its 20th anniversary today on uh, June. June 4th, uh, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett is back. Uh, it's great to be here with, uh, just to be ingloriously here. <laughs> how, how appropriate is uh, it on the 20th anniversary of the release of Free Enterprise, where we drove around uh, limo- limousi- in a limousine all day to empty theaters all across Los Angeles? Now, that's not quite true, but um, <laughs> uh, to be to here be sure. talking about Star Trek 20 years later. Yes, they weren't uh, all across Los with Angeles. With one of my favorite <laughs> Star Trek actors, by the way. Who was with us? I mean... I mean, no, today. today. Oh, yes. But we have an interview. Be named I was later. just going to say, I'm very excited to be <laughs> okay. here today. And, and, of course, we have the writer of such movies as Thor and X-Men First Class. He was a writer-producer on Lore and uh, um, also Black Sails. Mr. Ashley Miller is back. Yay. Good morning, good afternoon, and whatever time it is that you're listening to this. But uh, one of the things I'm really thrilled, you know on the show we're huge fans of uh, Deep Space Nine. And um, although he has been on other Star Trek series as well, I think that any Star Trek fan, the first character or maybe the first six characters that come to mind are are, um, played by this gentleman. Um, Been a fan of his for for a long time. We're thrilled to have him on the show. Uh, Mr. Jeffrey Combs is with us today. Yes, well, I'm ingloriously delighted to be here. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really amazed by what a um, an uh, what a, what a, a booster you are for Star Trek. I mean, anyone who's seen that recent documentary that Shout Factory put out, Ira Bear's um, uh, "What We Leave Behind," uh, you're all what over we that left. Docu- behind, what we left right. behind. What we left behind. I stand corrected. Um, you know, so Jeffrey is all over that, and I I didn't realize 
you know, because for some people, you know, a recurring uh, gig on a show, it's, it's just that. It's, it's a gig, it's a paycheck, but clearly it was a passion for you. Well, it didn't start out to be a uh, paycheck. Uh, well, I suppose it did. I mean, I, I never would have imagined when I first, you know, I'm just a schlub with an audition and I go in and let me tell you, there were a couple of times I didn't get the gig. You know, thank you very much, and you never hear anything. So when I did get cast, it was for a oneer, uh, a character that I did not recur in, and I thought, that's it. That's it. That's, that's, my, that's my foray into one of my childhood enthusiasms, the original series. Mm -hmm. And um, just so I can, like, check that off, and I'm good. <laughs> so a little did I know that it's, it's, it's the little things, guys. Um, just so happened that uh, Rene Bergenois, who I'd done theater with, I reconnected with him on set, even though I didn't have any scenes with him. And he turned to the producers and said, how about Jeff for this other character, Brunt, a Ferengi? And they were a bit resistant because I just did a guest star. You know, they were like, going, no, I, I, I get, no, we don't do that. But he prevailed and um, I started recurring as Brunt, uh, Liquidator Brunt. And, <laughs> and um, that's when Ira Bear walked up to me and said, we really like what you're doing and we want to bring you back as a character where we see your face. I'll never forget that, where we see your face. It was like, well, yeah, oh, okay. Hollywood bullshit, uh, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, like th maybe three weeks later, I get a call and it's Wayun, but Wayun died at the end of the episode. So it's like, oh, okay, that's, who am I to know how these things? Well, I know, you know, Renee used to talk about how liberating mask work and prosthetics is. Yes. And, you know, for you, who you know, it can be difficult, I think, being associated with such an iconic role like Herbert West in Reanimator. And yet you, you know, have the mask work and the prosthetics were so liberating because you got to play not just one character, not just two characters. But I mean, what, how, what, what was the grand total on, on, on the amount of roles you played over the your tenure with Star Trek? It was quite I substantial. I don't know. Six or seven mask work. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, I, I went to actor training program. Um, and one of the most vital uh, uh, classes that I had was uh, I had this wonderful movement teacher. He was brilliant. He did a, an, an entire uh, segment on mask work, and he would bring out these masks, and many of them were called neutral masks, where there was absolutely no expression, a white mask, very much like uh, Mike Myers, just nothing. Mm -hmm. And for you to put that on and uh, see how neutral you can be, when guess what? You as soon as you put a neutral thing on your face, your body, you begin to see unique things about your body. Mm. It's not so neutral, and you try to rid yourself to get neutral, to manifest the mask. And then after we got through that, we then went to masks with expressions. And all of a sudden, you are manifesting physically what you are seeing in the mask in the mirror. And this was a really, really powerful lesson because what is playing an alien in Star Trek or any other manifestation 
but mask work. Uh, and so a lot of actors aren't comfortable with that. They, th th this is their tool, and, and, and they think that if you took that away from them, uh, they're lost, and a lot of them are. But some, some people go with it, and Renee is certainly one of them, where you embrace that, and it actually informs and helps you to uh, fulfill something that otherwise, without it, you couldn't, you couldn't do. Well, what a testament to the impression that you made on the Deep Space Nine writers and producers that not only did they bring you back as a recurring character in Brunt, FCA, but they brought you back as Weyoun and then again as a different Weyoun. I think it was Weyoun's four through eight. That's how much of a nerd I am. They... They reimagined an entire piece of the mythology, of the lore, of the Vorta, just to justify bringing you back again and again. I, and I will tell you as a viewer, I think you were 100% worth it. But, um, I, you know, pro tip, they don't just do that. And, it's, and it was just what you were able to do with those characters, I think, was just awesome. Well, they don't do it, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's kind of like you... You know, you you set out a a strategy for a war or a battle, and then once the battle begins, ah, things just uh, you know throw away the script. So they start out a season with some ideas, and then you know it was to my benefit that these this particular core of writers were thinking on the fly. Uh, they were looking for cues or inspiration in dailies. They would um, see someone who was a guest star who brought a special something, then they went, hey, what if? How about, uh, you know, we should go with that. We should explore that. So they were, they were very fluid in their in their ability to go with their own instinct based on what they were seeing. And I'm so glad that they were there because they, they said, we can clone him. Mm. We can clone him. We killed him. Why did we kill him? That's what they said. But Well, you definitely acted your way onto that show. And in fact, in the seventh season, there's an episode, The Dogs of War, um, which, is with, which I think was in the, uh, the closing arc. It was the, the third to last uh, right. before the two-parter ending, yeah. And you were, you didn't just play Way You and Eight. You also mm -hmm. played Brunt. How in the hell do you prep for an episode where you play two different characters? Well, it's not that hard. First of all, they're, I've been playing them, so True. I had a certain sort of comfort with both characters. But also, it's on different days. Uh, it's right. not like I'm... <laughs> in the chair for one and then in the chair for the no, other. No, I only did that one time, and that was very early on. Actually, very first episode that I did as Wei Yun. Uh, very soon after that, maybe the next episode or the one after that, I came in as Brunt, and they said, listen, that episode with Wei Yun came up short. So we've written another uh, scene between you and uh, Odo. And, and so there was one day where I, I was brunt and then I was taken out of that makeup oh and put into Wei Yun to do that one scene. Oh my God. Along those lines, 
what is your, I mean, you didn't start out knowing that you were going to play seven different characters no, over the years. No, you never know. Um, so how does your process go to sort of differentiate these characters after you've done several of them? It's right. not just the makeup. You, it, you are also yeah, embodying does, them differently. It does get harder. <laughs> um, uh, of course, the makeup helps. Makeup and wardrobe really helps. Um, a lot of it is much like the writers. I'm just sort of my instincts on the fly. Uh, Brunt is thankfully completely different than right. Wei Yun. It's a completely different uh, vibe. Uh, Wei Yun, I didn't really know what I was going to do until uh, I was in full makeup and wardrobe and I had that window about 15 minutes before right. they go right. uh, blocking. Uh, really, you really don't have. Did you ever start out in a direction that you weren't quite happy with and sort of dial backs in a different way? Um, no, I'm uh, with Wayun, no. I, I kind of felt comfortable with my instinct that he was a bit of a courtier, mm -hmm. uh, uh, a bit of a uh, smile through everything right. while he's gonna, you find out you have a knife in your back. Right. Um, I just sort of thought that'd be a nice counterpoint in general. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I just kind of went with that. Reassuring and friendly. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm here to help you. The face man. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah, middle management. Yes. Uh, and uh, that's sort of the way I approached it. And I, you know, I kind of was, uh, I, I, so I didn't make a mistake there. I think right. that was the way to go. People often say to me, well, every Wayun is different, and I disagree. Every Wayun is not different uh, because my thinking is the cloning process is so perfect that it's flawless. Right. But maybe the situation is right. Different. We're seeing them all in different. You're situations. seeing me maybe in a more tense situation, or I'm dealing with uh, incompetence, or uh, the stresses of a battle in coming up. But but in in essence, I'm I'm the same, except for the one supposedly defective right. way. That... <laughs> one of the things that I thought was amazing. We we all love I think Deep Space Nine on the show, and I I of course love what you did on Deep Space Nine. But the thing that I think. For the fans of the show, they know, but for those, the general population, I don't think they understand how great what you did on Enterprise was. Oh. And you were brought, as far as I'm concerned, to create what I think is your greatest character on Star Trek, which is, of course, Shran, the Andorian. Now, Rick Berman had famously said, there's not going to be any Andorians on TNG. No, we're antenna not was actually and, the quote. Well, no, but yeah, antenna. Yeah. No, we're not going to have, because the Andorians have antennas. You saw one, you saw a holographic representation in a third season episode where Lol, Data's child, was going to pick who she wanted to be. But you got your antennas, and you had your, your developing relationship with Captain Archer, and it, which started out as antagonism, but then became mutual respect. You became really almost part of the main cast of that show, in a way. What was that like? And after you'd done already, you'd been a Ferengi, you'd been a Vorta, and now they're gonna ask you to play an Andorian. I know. How, did you ever stop and go, wait a minute, I, I mean, I'm sure an actor wants to work, but now you're being brought back again and they're gonna see your face, even though it's blue, more than they probably ever have before. Um, yeah, that was, a diff that was a very oblique sort of journey. I have to tell you that, um, 
when Enterprise was announced as a series, I had some wish or hope that, well, hey, I have uh, recurred and maybe proven myself here. Maybe there's a role. Um, maybe there's a role in the um, the the, uh, the main cast right. that I might uh, uh, try for. And uh, and uh, and I heard nothing. I had nothing. And so I was a bit miffed, actually. I was not. Um, I was like, okay, fine. This is so typical. This is so typical of Hollywood right. in general. There's really no uh, uh, loyalty. Lo 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 loyalty. <laughs> it's always new and improved. It's it's just there's just we're just widgets. Fine. I I I feel the love. Not <laughs> right. Um, so I was sort of. And then it was like it's it's announced and the cast and it's like it's one thing to to. Uh, not get something, but you tried, mm -hmm. or you were at least in maybe in the mix, and you didn't get it, and and like nothing, and so it was kind of like, well, may they have fun, but boy, that really, I'm not particularly pleased, and I remember that my cell phone rang, and my agent said they want to. Um, they want to. They want. They, they want to. Uh, making an offer for you on Enterprise. And my first thought was, I don't do commercials, <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't really put it together. Right. If they'd said Star Trek Enterprise, I might have got <laughs> it. But Enterprise by itself, which is what it was originally right. called, um, it didn't really. The penny didn't drop for me. Not unusual. And then I, uh, and then it was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, my, and so my inclination was to say no, actually, because, uh, because uh, I was so um, uh, protective or proud of the work that I'd done on Deep Space Nine. I didn't really want to, um, it's like I'd done my Star Trek thing and I didn't want to sort of mess with that mm -hmm. it was kind of like good that had an ending I'm, and um, but then they said it's an Andorian uh, and that sort of that was unexplored territory as far as I was concerned because I knew from the original series mm -hmm. and they said um, so they, they they want you to um, to uh, you know be the commander uh, of an Andorian ship. And um, a commander of an Andorian ship was a little bit different too because they were mostly snarky, conniving diplomat types, mm -hmm. much like, oh, I don't know, Weyoun. <laughs> <laughs> so that they had militarized them a little bit was, uh, was, was intriguing to me and and the fact that they just offered it to me, frankly, kind of took some of the sting out of out of it. And then, um, and then, um, my only question was, does he die at the end of the episode? <laughs> <laughs> and they said no. And I said, okay, I'll do it. So interesting because because um, you know. I knew 
that whatever happened to Wayun and being cloned. Uh, they weren't going to uh, do it that's again. That's not going to happen. <laughs> You're not getting cloned. No. But, I mean, you look at, you know, we've talked about this a lot, how the original show hired these great character actors, you know, and Reggie Nalder is one of my favorites in Journey at Babel playing the Andorian, who I loved in yes. you know, Manchurian Candidate. So, and he, also the man who... Man who knew too much. Man who never was. No, no. Man who knew too much. Yeah, man who knew too. Yeah, yeah, right. The Hitchcock film. Yeah, man who knew too much. And he, yeah, he's great in that. And you know, the original structure was so great at hiring these amazing character actors. And then you look at some of the later shows, and there's some really bland casting. But then you get to Deep Space Nine. And Ira is such a huge film fan mm-hmm. that, I mean, Salome Jens from Seconds. I mean, it's like really great. And it was so wonderful that they were willing to come back to you because, of course, Enterprise, other than the pilot at that point, was kind of a dud of a series. And then Fred Decker's Andorian incident hits. And you're so wonderful as that character. And it gave the show such life at that point. Um, well, I think it was an echo also, finally, back to the original series. There was a quality and a, a vibe about it. That, 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 that's what I, I wanted to do with Shran was this sort of gives me an opportunity that really Wayun didn't where I could I could manifest that kind of energy that kind of militaristic kind of things are at stake here and, and be a man of uh, be a man of, uh, of action as opposed to diplomacy yeah. And that that really, really uh, that, that hooked into me. I could I could play that. The, the the Andorians, they were so great about it as they had a grievance, and the grievance was against what we have all accepted as being the perfect v- Vulcans that right. that live in an ice castle of logic. <laughs> and 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 here the Andorians are going. <laughs> yeah, sure. You think that they're, you think that they're, just reason and logical and that, but really Perfect. they're just <laughs> as conniving and they're they're just as greedy and just as imperialistic as any other species out there. Give me a break. We want our homeland back. Back off. Now was that apparent? When you first were in the Andorian incident, and, and further on as you moved in and helped develop your character, did you was that on the page the grievance that they had, and and did that idea inform your uh, the way you brought forth the character? I think there was enough there, enough there that I was able to um, really latch onto that and 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 play it. I mean, it was certainly written that we think they're using a so-called monastery actually to spy on us and so uh we've dealt with these these jokers before and um we don't trust them and you know what i think we were right and and so this is a bit of a great dramatic eye opener for archer and 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 the federation because they're going along at this point with the you know Noble. Toe in the Vulcan line. Yes, yeah. and and then all of a sudden, wait, maybe there's another aspect of this story. My hook in was really uh, the uh, English-Irish conflict, mm-hmm. that the Vulcans were that cold, icy uh, veneer of of poise and nobility of the British Empire, and that at, at the Andorians with a little smaller islanders basically saying, feck off, you know, this is get off my, you know, we want our autonomy and, and, and leave. 
that was very playable for me. That was very playable. And were you surprised there was as much life to that character over the course of the four seasons as there was? Yes. Yes, I was. Uh, I was pleased. I, I always loved working with with Scott. Most of my stuff was with him. And um, he's a consummate actor and always there. And uh, I, I, I've, I've said before, he's like a quarterback on the field. I mean, he just knows every position and he knows every aspect. And he's very aware and cares about the final product in every way and uh, a leader. And um, I was always pleased to be there. Um, I was a little frustrated that they decided to take a detour into the Zindi exploration <laughs> for an entire freaking season. <laughs> well, you know, but that's okay. The fourth season, uh, I'm sorry it was the fourth, but it, but it ended with, with, with a flurry of Andorian uh, exploration, so I was happy about that. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, I, I mean, as, a, as an actor who's just get, he's getting the scripts on the stage, um, did you sense there was a difference with Manny Cotto running that show as opposed ah, to... Absolutely. Because all of a sudden there was a... Um, I mean, I, I, there just was a, 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 a hearkening back to the spirit of the original series to me. Uh, and mainly because the Tellurites Tellurite, are showing up. So all of these past... Uh, it's almost like portions of an orchestra that haven't been utilized. Oh, good. We got French horns now. We, we've been missing French horns in our orchestra. Good. Um, so th there were other aspects of the, uh, of, of, of the, of the array that, that were being uh, brought in and much to the pleasure of uh, Star Trek fans. I don't know why uh, there was resistance from the get-go on Enterprise to do that right out of the gate. I really don't understand that but that's why I talk a little bit about your um, uh, connection and, and enjoyment of the original series yeah. what what uh, what did you pull from that what did you um, most enjoy about it when well, you first watched I, it <laughs> what's meant <to> love. Um, <laughs> listen uh, uh, it came at a time where uh, I, I was impressionable it was so fresh in its day i actually watched a bit of uh, the, the the episode with the the the, the where shatner is on the planet with the <laughs> and they has to make gunpowder right it was on this weekend yes it was ran this weekend and uh you know there was a vibrancy about it and and i would also say there was a um the actors all of them um, I call it leaning in. They leaned into this stuff. They they committed to it, even if it was preposterous. They brought a a flair mm -hmm. and a uh, energy to it that I think sometimes in later Star Trek manifestations it's a little uh, little There's removed. a little veneer. On it's it's yeah. very um, you know Armin Shimmer. <laughs> told me a story once when he was on TNG and he first played Ferengi and the ship is going down right. and he's on the deck with everybody. He's on the bridge and it's going down and everybody in the cast, in the main cast, has a close up and they're all just too, too brave. 
<laughs> to be afraid. And and here's Armin going, I, I'm, I'm cowering, I'm, I'm frightened. I, you know, this is, the, the end is near. And yet they were just too cool. Mm. Too cool to be, uh, and I don't think that would be the case on the original series. Mm. A Spock, hi, engage, <laughs> I know. You know, I can just, <laughs> Jim. You know, there was a vitality there that really captured my imagination. Well, and there was a fearlessness as actors that whatever they were thrown at, they would do it. They, I mean, Kirk plays a woman, no problem. You know, he's a, it's it's like whatever it was, you know, Spock, your brain is missing. I'll do it. You know, it's <laughs> like. They, they, they were brave. Yeah. You know, they must have read some of those scripts and went, well, there's, all, there's one way to make this work, and that's to jump in with both feet and go. Right. Well, because uh, uh, acting is believing. And if we believe it, everybody else was, well, let's do this with Verve. Sure. Let's do it with Verve. And that's the thing I think people don't appreciate about Shatner now. They, they look at it as being big and, you know, some people say hammy, but it's operatic. And the thing was, he committed to the material. And what they forget is he was a sexy leading man who was, you know, uh, up for these leading man parts. And unlike Jeffrey Hunter, who didn't have the balls to continue, you know, because his wife said, this is not good for you. This is not good for your career. You should be in John Wayne movies, you know. You shouldn't, but Chatner just dove in and gave it a and didn't worry about how he came off and just committed. Well, I think that there's a difference here is that Shatner came from the theater, and I don't know if Jeffrey Hunter did or not, yeah. but uh, but but there's a certain um, there's a the, the, there's a certain and I mean it in the good way theatricality, sure. a commitment, a uh, a panache, a, a flair that you just you 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 can. You, you can get through this stuff if you just just dive and uh, and not play it safe just believe it with 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 style you know and uh yeah okay when you look at it now it's a little uh uh a, a little uh but ballsy yeah yeah but like, what holds up from the '60s? People aren't watching, uh, you know, Gunsmoke now. You know, we we talked we we talked a lot about this. Just you know, how many other than I Love Lucy, which even I'm not so sure that many people watch anymore. You know, there are not a lot of shows from that era that you know are repeated in strip syndication every night. Right. Star Trek continues to captivate people. Yeah, I remember Ira Bear saying many years ago, you know, you're not going to be going to conventions to watch ER. Right. In 20 years. <laughs> no, Wiley isn't signing at conventions. That's right. Maybe. Well, that brings up a point. Uh, like, I find it very interesting. The two most vibrant fandoms, I think, that exist today that I've been involved in, in both is horror fandom and Star Trek fandom. Conventions, events. And in 85, when I first saw Reanimator, the opening pre-title sequence before the credits start rolling, you made a very big impression on me. Right, as, as, right out of the right out of the gate, and as as a lifelong horror fan, I always see Reanimator as the end of sort of this punk rock era of horror films that began in the seventies, from say Exorcist and Texas Chainsaw in seventy four and seventy five. Why would all that the be way. punk? Why would that be considered? Well, I, th punk? I think it was punk rock because I, when I say that, punk I mean all the, the rules. I, I don't mean punk rock in terms of the music. I mean in terms of the sensibility. Uh huh. The sensibility that that Stuart Gordon brought as a director from the theater and and and. It was it was outlandish and it was crazy and it was in your face and it was sexual and it was gory and violent but also very funny yeah. and erudite. I mean, it had a, a, a feel to it that I think was the end of a ten year era in horror. 
So I immediately, you endeared yourself to me as a horror fan in the first three minutes of a movie. The first three minutes of the movie was uh, cut from the original shooting schedule for time. Did you know that? I did not know that. That scene was in the script. We shot as much as we could in the 18 days that we had. Something had to give, and they went, well, you know, we probably don't need that scene. Well, maybe three, four weeks later, after they kind of compiled some stuff, they went, um, yeah, maybe we do need it. And so thank God that they had the... The, the the wherewithal and a little bit more money to get another day and do that opening sequence. Well, it, it's amazing because from then on, I, I mean, you were immediately beloved by a fan community. Then everyone who saw you, and when you came on to Star Trek, I was, as a Star Trek fan, also delighted. Hmm. And then as you continued to come back and play more and more roles, you suddenly were, you have these two fan bases that are unlike any other fan bases, worldwide audiences that are are. bringing you to conventions, even to this day, you just finished uh, What We Left Behind, which is an amazing look back at Deep Space Nine, but what is it like for you to be sort of admired by a bunch of crazy people uh, well, and I'm a, one of them <laughs> hey listen it's it's a, it's a blessing and 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 not really much of a curse it's a real blessing i am really fortunate to have the rare um, gift of being having a foot in two worlds here uh, most of my friends are like oh we know you from star trek or or oh you're that dude who you know that that movie that horror movie but but I, I'm, I'm sort of like able to be in the world of people that collect stamps and people that collect coins. It's like, <laughs> and let me tell you, if I go to one convention, the vast majority kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, you did that other stuff. Right. And, and, and then the other way around, rare is it, is somebody like, like you, Robert, who <laughs> who's steeped in both deeply. Well, I... I would love to do the Reanimator from Beyond podcast. I mean, but uh, so I'm with him. I'm a, I'm a lunatic like him. But yeah. I think, um, and I want to talk to you a little bit about your process because yeah. when you talk about the the commitment and the energy that the that the cast brought to the original series yes. and that specificity in their performance, for my money, the thing that really makes Wayun stand out or Brunt or Shran, it's not just that you commit and you fully do. It's that you make these very interesting choices as an actor um you bring a, a definite specificity to it i i will never forget the way that in um Wei-Yun's first appearance in to the death how you took what could have been this this ritual presentation of the ketracel white to the jemhadar and you just tossed it off like you were bored with it and those guys <laughs> they were all into it like yes to the death and you're just like blah, Clarence blah, Williams blah, blah, the third blah. and it was just it was unbelievably great and um i see that not just you know in those shows i also see that in um you know in uh in reanimator i see that in from beyond um or the frighteners right i mean the, the your performance in the I frighteners don't think i toss anything was... off in the frighteners <laughs> no, <not at> <laughs> Although, honestly if that character had i would have believed it um but it's just how do you 
find that every single time out find something that is so different so specific and just make uh, it your own i don't know about every single time out i really don't know about that uh, because believe me i've done my share of um of uh things that you know i like to have another take on um my process is prepare uh the sooner i can get the material and run it into the ground for myself to the point where uh, I can do it any way that needs to be done, but also have a, on the, on the other hand, I have a very clear idea of how I want to do it, mm-hmm. how through exploration, I, mean, I think this is probably the best way to do it. Um, time is my friend. Um, I am a terrible auditioner. Uh, I will admit it right now. Uh, I'm not the guy, and I know actors that are, that, that can get a job. They know how to audition. I'm not one of them. And I really, uh, it's a very synthetic experience for me. Acting is reacting. There's nothing to react to. Um, it's nerve-wracking for me. It's not comfortable. I don't know how to get comfortable. So I've actually been successful uh, in only two ways. One, people offering me things like Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I had audition a couple times and then I got the very first oneer, which then dovetailed into Brunt, which I didn't have to audition for, which then dovetailed into Wei Yun, which I didn't have to audition for because I, I think in the back of my head, you know, if I had, if I had, I wouldn't have gotten them. Uh, Frighteners, uh, I had a lot of time with the material, a lot of material that I had to audition for. That whole that whole scene with Michael J. Fox in the interrogation room was the uh, was the audition wow. scene, and uh, it's a lot of a lot of stuff. But I had a lot of time. I had over a week with that material. Nowadays, it's even worse. Nowadays, it used to be used to be back in my, you know, back, in, <laughs> back when, uh, I'll tell you, uh, no, but seriously, as an actor, you would get a call from your agent, you'd get in your car, you'd drive over to the casting director's office, or, or, you know, after hours, and there'd be a box out front with manila envelopes, and you'd rifle through, find yours, drive home, and that was your, that was your material. Mm-hmm. So you had three, four days before you then went in and audition. in my case, badly but still you had some time now now it's like the day before they send you an email with it attached uh you know with four freaking scenes and uh and then you with a lot of dialing oh, jesus christ and then you go in and they go we're just doing the first scene well and okay. it's brutal it's brutal and it's not fair to actors no. it really is not now, I have to ask you, you mentioned that with Wayun, the idea was that he was smiling. You yes. said you'd come up with the idea that when Wayun delivers these lines, he's always smiling. Yes. Do you look for something like that, like a, a quality, an effable quality that you've decided? It might not be on the page. It's something that you've decided as an actor. Yes, I do. And do you do that with everybody? Do you do that? And has there ever been a time when that decision of yours might have been pushed back upon, but then... You were able to convince somebody through your performance? Uh, no. Uh, you know, of course, uh, directors are directors. Uh, you know, that's good. Try it this way or adjust that way. 
but uh, but 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 I, I think you're right. I do make a. You have to. You have to make a bowl. Otherwise, you're ambiguous. You're 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 neither here nor there. You're safe. Um, uh, frighteners. Uh, key direction that uh, first of all, when I auditioned, I did even though I had a week, I did everything wrong. I did every freaking thing wrong. And Peter went, oh, try this, try that. And Peter, Peter, with deft little things, hooked me in. And 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 his whole thing was, you don't look people in the eye. You attack and you retreat, and you cannot. You cannot look at people for very long at all. And this, to me, that was like, okay, uh, now I got it. Now, that's not Wayun. Wayun is very direct and tries to put you at ease, which is devious. <laughs> so so there's something there. With Shran, it was um, uh, grievance. Mm. Grievance and my honor has been bespoken. My my planet's honor has been besmirched, and I'm I'm here to rectify that. And I have a real problem with trusting anybody because of the damage that's been done. Right. So, and so there's something that he, that's to, that's that's overcoming that you can go. You know, now he finds Archer. Hey, I, maybe I can trust this guy. I don't think so. Maybe I can. Yeah. So anyway, it's playable. I try to find something that I can play. And if 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 I can't, then it's the writer's fault. <laughs> <laughs> so no. funny. I was thinking about what you were saying, Rob, about um, you know being a fan in these two worlds, and uh, it, it made me think. You know, sitting here talking to Jeffrey, that when I was in college and I was there, the college paper in my office, besides the Walter Mondale for president and uh, and and Devest now, uh, I you know I had uh, th- three posters. There was there was there was Shatner. You know, um, there was Diane Lane in uh, uh, The Big Town or Streets of Fire. I don't remember what. And the third, on the back of the door, this giant French poster was Jeffrey with the syringe and his giant face mm-hmm. and reanimator. And that was on the back of my door for three years in I college. Have <laughs> I have that very poster in my office. I actually. love that poster. Was it the long one? The long one. But yeah. not, not not the big wide one. But no, the big long... vertical. I have so that. Perfectly... I have that. We have the same, we have the same poster. So <laughs> you're saying that Jeffrey was overlooking sometimes as you were trysting with a bubble-headed Cohen? Yes. <laughs> yes. Approving yes. this. Never Literally. in my office. Literally. <laughs> Ben Bradley, we don't do that. Well, he's looking over me, or sometimes I close. It's behind my door, so I close my door and I go, "Oh, whoa, that's a great poster." It's a great poster. Do you still have it? I don't. I wish I did. I'm. I don't know what happened to it. I literally don't know. I know I took it home from college, but I, you know, it made it to New York, and I don't know where it all all slips away. It does, but I may have to try and track down one of those. I have one. It's in good condition. I've kept it out of the (laughs) sun. And it's it's still beautiful. Ah, uh, yeah that that was a that was a, just a gorgeous that's a gorgeous poster. I think the subtitle on that one was uh, it's different than Herbert West has a a, a, a very good head on it, his, yeah, uh, on his shoulders that, and yeah. another one in a dish on his desk. Right. I think theirs was something like when you translate it, it was like he thinks he's God, and God is horrified at the idea. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that's what it translates nice. into. Oh my god! But that's pretty good. That, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. A great, it was a great poster. So I got to ask you because obviously you've been out there, you know, tub thumping the documentary. When did you realize working on Deep Space Nine this was something special? Obviously, this was a very special catch. You people like Armin who came out of the theater, who just amazing guy. Yeah. Um, you know, Max uh, and and you know this this incredible bench of recurring characters that were so special. Um, but like, when did you kind of realize that this show was, you know, you know, especially coming with your love of the original Star Trek, um, and then you know, sort of realize because Deep Space Nine is an acquired taste, as we all know. There are people who absolutely adore it and love it, like us, and you know, there are other people who don't get it. To us, it's the true successor to the original Star Trek. Right. So um, I just wonder, you know, sort of when when did it sort of become clear to you that this was not just your average bear? Ira Bear. Uh, uh, well, when I started, uh, well, when I started seeing these scripts, and I started seeing uh, wonderful writing with uh, with ideas and uh, addressing issues, uh, I, I, you you know, we all in the cast whether we were series regulars or recurring, we, 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 we were genuinely proud of what we were doing, but we were also um, more than a little upset that we weren't getting uh, the acknowledgement uh, that, that we felt that, that we should have. Um, you know, the entire industry was sort of like, oh, that's just Star Trek over yeah, there. Yeah. They're just they're just playing and those aren't real actors. And, uh, you know, how, how many of those wonderful actors never got an Emmy nomination? Mm -hmm. and, and yet here they are week after week just nailing it, mm -hmm. uh, creating an incredible arc, or the writers for that matter. I think Deep Space Nine was a way ahead of the curve. Now, now we binge watch. We do that. It's 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 the lay of the land now. But back then, there was a lot of resistance from the studio and the networks for Ira to just stop doing this uh, cha chapters in a long saga. Just don't do that because, you know, the whole thing was syndication, and we just we just we just want to be able to shuffle the cards and play them in any order why are you why are you making our life difficult he was playing the long game and he right. he was visionary that way and 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 the future has caught up with deep space nine and he and always you, said he would be vindicated too and he was right and he's absolutely right because the hard part about it was that it was once a week and if you and and and, and the studios uh, and the networks weren't too helpful because it wasn't really ABC, CBS, NBC. It was kind of like UPN. And it, so it was like different time and different t zones preempted because of a local game or so. Yeah. It, was, it was all of these obstacles so that nobody could actually get a, a flow on so... So stories would get dropped. People would go, I don't know what's going on because I didn't see last week's episode or I missed two. And right. oh, oh, so it was very challenging. Mm. Well, the challenge is not not there anymore. They're right there in sequence whenever you want them. 
One of my favorite um, parts of the documentary is that wonderful uh, faux writer's room for season eight where they sort of break uh, season eight. And I understand, I guess on the DVD, they're going to extend that, which is fantastic. But that's, that's, that's really super fun. That was a really lovely idea. Well, again, you know, gee, Ira's a writer. What, what, do, you think he, what do you think he's going to do? I think that's a lovely... It's a wonderful homecoming for that posse of writers that have gone on to do other great things, you know, to see all of them back in their nest, you know, work on the problem like that. It's and glorious. it all means so much to them still. I mean, you know, despite the fact that Ron's gone on to create these other, you know, legendary, iconic shows, and then, you know, I mean, obviously Robert's gone on and done a lot, and R- Renee, and, and uh, you know, to see them all together again, uh, and just, you know, they still have that passion. You, you know, know, one of my with... one of my most cherished memories back in the day of Deep Space Nine is somehow I was on the lot and um, and I and I and I was. What do you mean? Somehow I was on the lot. That's ridiculous. <laughs> somehow I was they on another. On. <laughs> I was on another part of the lot. <laughs> right. I was over by the writer where the writers were. Was the heart building. Heart building. I believe. Yeah. And and I as I was approaching, Ira and all of his writers banged out the front doors like they were going to go to the commissary or something. And it was just this band of brothers these guys and they were all just like so comfortable with each other and they were just flowing and I was just thinking wow there there is an incredible group of talent right there look at them all this is a rare moment because you know the stuff all shows close and and but they'll all go on and do other things but at that moment they were uh, they were all together. That's a... You know, uh, Rob, Robert Justman once told me, I, not a great expression, but it's true, a fish stinks from its head. That's where I first heard that expression. Robert Justman told me that. And uh, in the case of Deep Space Nine, a fish stinks from its head. Ira Bear set the tone, you know, which was creatively fertile, you know, treat everybody with respect. And, you know, I think one of the reasons that the show is so successful is because, you know, obviously I, Ira set that tone. And, and uh, it was that way in the writer's room. And, you know, look, obviously it wasn't necessarily the closest cast among everyone, but they're the pockets of the people who really love each other and still do to this day. You know, he, um, we also, Ira, the the whole show benefited from the fact that we were kind of the forgotten child. Uh, They they had other fish to fry. You know, they, 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 we rarely had the dance floor to ourselves. Two years in, I think, Voyager was like big hoopla, Voyager, Voyager, Voyager. And it was like, oh, oh yeah, and Deep Space Nine. And then, and then as we were progressing, and then all of a sudden it was uh, the movies and the next gen movies. And, and so it was that, you know, the studio, they were like preoccupied with other stuff and the, and this little forgotten child flourished. Well, it's interesting because you say that, you know, Obviously, it was clear when Deep Space Nine went off the air, there would never be movies. They were very comfortable sending, you know, Avery off to, you know, the problem because it, it, there was no future for the show. It was definitely over. But now we live in a world where everything comes back. Can you foresee a world in which potentially for television or for CBS All Access, you know, Deep Space Nine is resurrected in some form or fashion? I mean, wouldn't that be Can amazing? I? I don't know. I, I, I really, I, I, I suppose we're all just old old now <laughs> uh, I, I can maybe see uh, seasoned you're seasoned now right yes that's right that's seven seven seasons now, you know who's old <laughs> Patrick yeah. is old yeah. right <laughs> you know Patrick, yes. the Deep Space Nine cast is, is seasoned 
I, I, I suppose the easiest thing really would like some sort of uh, reanimated uh, Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Everybody's voices can right. be utilized, but it, it, it seems a little uh, odd <laughs> that we would all, it's either reboot or, you know, a, or Deep Space Nine babies. D Deep Space Nine geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm curious. I wanted to get back to one of the... I, I think season six of Deep Space Nine is the best of all of the modern, canonical, Berman-era Star Treks because it is so integrated. And the story was they knew they were serialized storytelling. And it's really tightly scripted and really well done. Did that spill over to you as an actor and your performance? Did you know where you were going? Did they tell you three or four episodes in advance, or did they give you an indication of where Wayun and was, was going to be from one episode to the next? No, so, they never. Not at all. They that and and it's not their fault. I don't think that they necessarily knew. Right. You, you have to realize that they're working on the fly. But um, even by then, even by season six, even by then, they're still like, and uh, a lot of the time, you know, I, I, my friend Casey Biggs uh, sitting Play next Demar, to me in the makeup yeah. trailer. He plays Demar. He's sitting in the makeup trailer, getting ready, and he's re that's where you see next week's script. By the way, right. first of all, can I see that? Right. Can I, do you mind if I look at that? Because they have to prep, so they give them a script, right. and so that's when you go, oh, good, I'm in it. <laughs> or I'm, or I'm not, or I, I guess I, I'm going surfing next week because right, right. I'm not. Uh, I guess I'm like, so that's where he picked up the script and he was like, oh good, I'm in it. And then he's reading along and I never, never forget this. He went, I have a daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we don't know these things, and I suppose maybe ignorance is bliss. But you know, I think sometimes if they had the luxury of being able to tell us some things, it would affect how we play things. Right. But it's not their fault. They they, they just don't really know. But now Casey Biggs is another actor who was given really a pretty great arc mm -hmm. in the show. Yeah. I mean, when he you know first his started first audition was? Uh, fire. <laughs> Man, gun, you know, ready, ready the weapons, fire. Thank you very much. And he's going, what the hell am I doing? This is ridiculous. Did you guys talk, I mean, did he know as he watched his the scripts would come in, did he know how great his role was developing at the time? Would you guys talk like, boy, I wish they could do this or I wish they could do that. Did you, did you know at the time that they were really taking what could have been minor or or sort of one-dimensional roles and how they just turned a character that auditioned by saying fire into an incredible really great dramatic arc for a person well i mean any actor well first of oh. all it's not just quite so simple as you know fire because ira had a vision ira knew casey's work in fact uh, you look at Deep Space Nine and you have two characters that are building a replica of the Alamo, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it turns out Ira Stephen Barry is a avid uh, historian about the Alamo, so much so that he'd take pilgrimages down to the Alamo, where there is a big IMAX movie about the Alamo, and who's starring in that movie? Casey Biggs. Ah. So Ira knows who Casey Biggs is, and once Casey Biggs. So it's like, it's much like baseball. 
and I want a deep bench. Mm-hmm. And that player over there, if he's ever available, he's going to be on my team because I can use him. Mm-hmm. I like his quality. I like his. I like his approach. And it's so. This is this is this is Ira. This is all Ira. He fielded a hell of a team. Mm-hmm. So he had an ball. image. He had a vision. Mm-hmm. He didn't quite know where he was going to go with it. And Casey sure didn't. I sure didn't. But I was so glad to be connected up with Casey and uh, and, and and that we really we were of a like mind. We knew how to make something work. We knew how to to play things and play off of each other and sing, basically. And uh, once you have that, mm, there's a trust and a comfort zone there. You can relax and uh, just shoot it. Well, you have so many phenomenal scenes together, you and Casey, yeah. you know, especially in those later seasons. It's just... For sure. Uh, and, and you guys, I think, um, you put it very well talking about it being about playing and baseball. I think that, uh, honestly, one of Ira's great strengths, I worked for him on a one season of uh, of Twilight Zone, but uh, really is you should mention it's the old Twilight Zone, the old not Twilight the current Zone. Twilight Zone. I did an episode of that. I did um, but uh, yeah, I mean, his he tends to look for people who can come and play, and I think there's real wisdom in that. You know, that cast, everybody in that cast was somebody who could come and play, and you could find things for. Ira is a interesting. historian of cinema, and he. Uh, y- y- you know, I, I had a conversation once with the casting director for a lot of those Star Treks, Ron Surma. Mm-hmm. And he said, Ira was the only one that had a lexicon of film history, of actors from the past, people that, 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 that he thought were of, of value that were not on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the studio and the network gives you. It's always the same people on the list. Mm-hmm. Get so-and-so, 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 so-and-so. We'll approve those. And I was like going, get that away from me because mm-hmm. I have my own vision. And they don't even, networks don't even know these people. They, it's not, they're not even on their radar. Yeah. And, you know, there's, a, there's another way of going about things. It's well, that just, was one of the great things about, I mean, Frank Langella. Showed oh up on God. Deep Space Nine. Luis Fletcher. And Andrew Robinson. Who would right. cast him and in Andrew that Robinson. Role? And, and look, when Salome Jen showed up as the... I mean, I'm a huge John Frankenheimer fan. Yeah. I'm loving Seconds. Seconds like Mark and I love Seconds. Movie. I mean, just... it was amazing that they brought her onto the show. I mean, the only person that they didn't bring on that I was waiting for was Sean Phillips, who played <laughs> Livia and I, Claudius. I'm like, mm-hmm. where's Sean Phillips? You know, they had every actor that was just... It was amazing. Did you guys, as actors, were you recognizing the secondary cast of Deep Space Nine at the time? Did you go, wow, they got so-and-so to be in this. Yeah, this course, is amazing. Of course, we always do. Of course, we always do. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's wide and deep. It's too too numerous. But, Wally you know, Shawn. I mean. Wally Shawn. <laughs> Brock Peters. Yeah, right. Uh, it's, it's deep water, man. It's, it's just these people come with gravitas, you know? You just... Uh, uh, Louise Fletcher. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, I'm an, I'm an, I, 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 just wonderful <laughs> actress, you know, and I'm doing a scene with Louise Fletcher. That's all I could ever think about. Yeah. So She's so great. Yeah. Well, I want to thank uh, Jeffrey for being here. This is a great episode, fascinating look at 
uh, you know, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, and uh, his long and storied career. So thanks for, for, for being with storied. us. Mostly <laughs> storied. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, I would say if, uh, I think the uh, documentary uh, is coming out in August on Blu-ray, I believe. Yeah, and, uh, I think right after the uh, Star Trek convention in the very beginning of August. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. so, so uh, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's really terrific, and I think uh, Blu-ray is going to have a lot of bonus features, which are worth for Deep Space Nine fans worth checking out so uh hopefully you look and Je- jeffrey's all over that thing well I, 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 it's a quilt I'm, I'm i'm a couple of the squares maybe but you don't at least you don't sing in the opening so that's uh no i sing at the end you sing at the, the end credits yeah, when no yeah. one's listening that's yeah kind of... <laughs> not sure about that opening but otherwise uh anyway i want to thank you for joining us for inglorious Trexperts. and if you're a fan of this podcast you may want to check out electric surges other podcasts like the 430 movie every friday in which a group of writer and producers curate fantasy theme weeks of classic movies also this summer on the cw don't forget to check out the second season of dean devlin's fantasy series the outpost and the new sci-fi action adventure series from creator executive producer mark a altman pandora also look for Best Movies Never Made every Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as the new Star Wars podcast, The Rebel and the Rogue, every Thursday night. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. These are too long at Inglorious Trek. <laughs> you wrote and, it. I know, or Twitter <laughs> on Inglorious Trexperts. And a very, very special thanks to the man behind the board, Mr. The One, The Only, Bill Ritter, and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including producer Natalie Mascali. So until... Wait, wait, and also a very special thanks to Darren Docterman, who is not mentioned in this ending. Well, should you be? Well, sure. You t- talk about everybody you, else. That's I love fine. You. Yeah, but you're, you already introduced yourself. You're a host. I know. You're a host. And you're not a guest. You don't need to be thanked. I know, and you just ta- talked about your own show. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we got we to gotta get eyeballs here. So, uh, okay, very special thanks Thank you. to my co-host, <laughs> the brilliant and talented and creative and funny. Thanks, that's enough. Um, I, I want to thank you, personally. <laughs> I want to thank you. <laughs> and I accept your thanks thank gratefully. You're welcome. Thank I couldn't you. have done it without you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, thank you, Robert. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Jeffrey. And a very special thanks <laughs> to Darren Dockerman. Yes. And uh, thank t- you, Mark A. Altman, Until producer next- of Pandora. <laughs> I want to watch best movies that were never made. How do we know that the best if they were never made? Just that's a good question. You should a ask snake them. Snake biting its own tail. <laughs> that, it's a great, that's a great oh, podcast. Yeah. Yes. I, they, 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 the guy who did Jodorowsky's Dune is one of the hosts and okay. um, they, they have filmmakers come in and talk about the movies that got away. They crashed and burned. They have, it's going to be a very long podcast that goes on for many decades. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of movies. <laughs> Not going to run out of material. Uh, <laughs> so until next Saturday, <laughs> keep on trekking, especially Darren Doctor and gloriously, of course. Engage. Make it so. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.